0: "'7.30 p.m. My deliberate opinion is that we are commanded by a madman. Nothing else can account for the extraordinary vagaries of Captain Craigie. It is fortunate that I have kept this journal of our voyage, as it will serve to justify us in case we have to put him under any sort of restraint, a step which I should only consent to as a last resource. Curiously enough, it was he himself who suggested lunacy, and not mere eccentricity as the secret of his strange conduct.' He was standing upon the bridge about an hour ago, peering as usual through his glass, while I was walking up and down the quarter-deck. The majority of the men were below at their tea, for the watches have not been regularly kept of late. Tired of walking, I leaned against the bulwarks, and admired the mellow glow cast by the sinking sun upon the great ice-fields which surround us. I was suddenly aroused from the reverie into which I had fallen by a hoarse voice at my elbow, and— Starting round, I found that the captain had descended and was standing by my side. He was staring out over the ice, with an expression in which horror, surprise, and something approaching to joy were contending for the mastery. In spite of the cold, great drops of perspiration were coursing down his forehead, and he was evidently fearfully excited. His limbs twitched like those of a man upon the verge of an epileptic fit— and the lines about his mouth were drawn and hard. Seizing me by the wrist, but still keeping his eyes upon the distant ice, and turning his head slowly in a horizontal direction, as if following some object moving across the field of vision, he gasped. Look! Look there, man! There! Between the hummocks! Now, coming out from behind the far one! You see her? You must see her! There, still! Flyin' from me, by God! Flyin' from me! <laughs> and... gone!" He uttered the last two words in a whisper of concentrated agony which shall never fade from my remembrance. Clinging to the Ratlins, he endeavored to climb up upon the top of the bulwarks, as if in the hope of obtaining a last glance at the departing object. His strength was not equal to the attempt, however, and he staggered back against the saloon skylights, where he leaned, panting and exhausted. His face was so livid that I expected him to become unconscious, so I lost no time in leading him down the companion and stretching him upon one of the sofas in the cabin. I then poured him some brandy, which I held to his lips and which had a wonderful effect upon him, bringing the blood back into his white face and steadying his poor shaking limbs. He raised himself up upon his elbow, and, looking round to see that we were alone, he beckoned to me to come and sit beside him. "'You saw it, didn't you?' he asked, still in the same subdued, awestruck tone so foreign to the nature of the man. "'No. I saw nothing.' His head sank back upon the cushions. "'No, he wouldn't without the glass,' he murmured. He couldn't. It was the glass that showed her to me. And then the eyes of love. The eyes of love. I say, Doc, don't let the steward in. He'll think I'm mad. Just bolt the door, will you? I rose and did what he had commanded. He lay quiet for a while, lost in thought, apparently, and then raised himself up on his elbow again and asked me for more brandy. You don't think I am, do you, Doc? he asked as I was putting the bottle back into the locker. Tell me now, as man to man, do you think I am mad? I think you have something on your mind which is exciting you and doing you a good deal of harm. (laughs) Right there, lad, he cried, his eyes sparkling from the effects of the brandy. Plenty on my mind. Plenty.